This scripture that I'm about to read, I have never heard anyone preach on it. I know many people have, but I have not run in circles where I've ever heard anybody preach on this, nor in my 2,500 sermons I've preached, I've never preached on this. This is one of the most intense scriptures in the Bible, and many of you today, under the sound of my voice, will begin to try to figure out how to soften this text for your gratification. That is not why it was written, and that is not the purpose of why it was written. It was written to challenge you. And it was written to wake you up out of your slumber. And so for us to rightly divide this, we cannot then... Listen, I, listen I'm just going to say it this way. It, it, the church has been preaching about God's love for us long enough that we know about that. If you've been in the church for 20 years and you don't know that God loves you and we got to keep preaching that, there's a problem. Are you with me today? Now, I know I'm scaring you already. You're like, what in the heck are we walking into today? But, I mean, we know he loves us, but there's many sides to God. And we need to begin to expand on and, and, love, and love encapsulate all of his sides. But so much we talk about his love that we never really come up a little bit higher. Are you with me today? We never rise up a little bit higher because he loves me. He loves me like I is. Come as you are. And I never need to be changed. And nothing needs to really, nothing needs to radically be transformed in my life because he loves me just as I am. Yes, he loves you just as you are. Not am, but he loves you just as you are. But in the church today, in the church, I, I feel like this. I'm just going to be very candid with you, all right? I feel like people's vernacular gets saved, but their heart does not. People's vernacular gets transformed, but their life does not. And that's troubling for me as a minister of the gospel. And I'm quite honestly, I'm tired of preaching messages every single week to people whose vocabulary gets better and better, but life still is as trashy as it always was. That does nothing for the kingdom of God. That's why, quite honestly, I'm tired of classes that teach people how to tell people about Jesus. Just be transformed and you don't have to say a word. Your life will be the greatest testimony the world has ever known. But we would rather learn a paragraph to quote in an elevator pitch than actually do the work of becoming like him in our life. And so we'll go to, go to a class. I'll just, I'll just go learn how to change my vernacular so I don't have to change my life. And that's just for me. Now let's get into the message, okay? And I'm troubled. I'm troubled. And, and, and let's just have an honest hour, right? Let's just have, how many of you are visitors today? Oh, okay. Well, God bless you. I'm sorry you're here. But let me just have... <coughs> I'm glad you're here, but I, you know, I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to feel like this is... I, I just want you to understand, if you're a visitor today, I want you to understand I'm a nice person. And, I, and I'm not grumpy all the time. I'm, I have my moments. <laughs> I have my moments. But I'm more melancholy by nature, so I can sit in a house and my wife will be following the butterflies around the house, and I'll be like, I wonder why butterflies exist, you know? And so, like, I'm, I'm a thinker, and so I'm thinking through things, and I'm heavy-hearted, and I'm evaluating things all, all the time. And, and I, I, just, I just want you to understand today that as we open up this text, that we have to, we have to, listen, 
God wants to do some life-transforming work in your heart this morning, and it is not going to happen if you sit there and think about how this applies to someone else, and if you sit there and think about how this doesn't really mean what it says it, it says. That ain't going to change. And, I, and so here's, here's the honest time that I was wondering about visitors being here. Here's the honest time. Sometimes I get to my Wednesday and I wonder, I wonder if what I do is making an impact. Listen to me. And, and I know that that's not my purpose. My purpose is to proclaim the gospel and let the gospel do the work. But over the years... I have, I have grown discouraged in my preaching. Now, I, now this is real honest. Most, most pastors won't do this, but I'm just going to be honest. I think this is important for I'm human. And sometimes I put more trust in my proclamation of the gospel than I do the Holy Spirit's ability to do the work in the hearts and lives of men and women. And much like I do that in my preaching, we do that in our life. We get disillusioned when we look at ourselves in the mirror and see where we are, and we lose hope and don't step into who he wants us to be. This is a tactic of the enemy. He wants us to be so shameful, so discouraged, because we don't see the change and the life change happening in our life that we no longer move and press in to more levels of him. My preaching, back when I, when I, was, when I was 20... When I would preach, I believed that every single person that sat under my voice would be radically transformed and be perfect from then on out, just by hearing my sermon. And then I preached a second sermon and realized that was never going to happen from one sermon. And then I began to evaluate his word and understand that whenever the kingdom was preached, actually those who followed him, who were so-called followers, didn't follow him anymore. Because whenever the kingdom comes into the house or when it comes before people, people will, will be forced to decide whether or not they truly believe what they say they believe. So you get the privilege that every week we're trying to throw kingdom messages out and it's kind of like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. You're like, whoa, crazy, I'm going to a different church. You know, it's just like, oh, that's just too much. That's too heavy of a message. I, I just can't handle that. And Jesus was very good about loving people in and proclaiming the kingdom and then having them leave. And we have to understand that it is not our role to, to save people completely. It is the Holy Spirit's role. It is our role to preach and proclaim the whole word in its entirety, which is this message I'm about to preach this morning. Because I said I preach it all. But I really didn't want to preach this one. I've waited for years to preach this one. All right. So, and I, so I, I've just come to know that you can preach a message and it really doesn't, tra it may transform one person. You might preach a year worth of messages and one person's radically changed under your preaching. Okay. How many of you know that if you're a father, I'm, I, I got to move on. This is not even, I'm not even to my introduction yet. So if, if you're a father and you decide, hey, I'm going to stop yelling at my kids. I really need to be more patient because I'm creating a weird atmosphere in my home. How do you know, and, and your kids have a little bit of trepidation when they're engaging you because your normal is just to yell. So whenever you get into a tense situation, they expect you to yell. And so just because you quit and didn't yell yesterday doesn't mean they're not going to have trepidation when they engage you. It takes time. 
It takes time. I love you. I love you. I love you, but I can, I can, I've been there. And it does take about a year to get your kids to start engaging you different. Listen, you can't just walk out of a sermon today and be like, I'm going to change and expect your world to be rearranged around you. And some of us quit because we don't see the results of our choices and we don't walk the way he's called us to walk because we need the outside to begin to honor what we, what's happening on the inside. Listen, it takes time to rearrange the atmosphere with the choices you're making. Stay the course. Those who endure to the end get the benefits of the end. Okay, so that's kind of what, what John is saying as he writes this in 1 John. All right? And I just want to go throw this, this, this out there. Sometimes... Sometimes ministers of the gospel, and I know I'm talking about me, and we're going to make it about you here in just a minute, but I'm just going to get on to me. Sometimes ministers of the gospel will begin to preach messages to avoid conflict rather than being a prophet of God. And I, I truly believe, I think there's some great communicators out there today, and I have respect for every single one of them, and we all have different lanes to ride in. I know what my lane is. God bless you. You know what my lane is too. And I stay in that lane. Because that's what God's called me to. Listen, I didn't come here to just grow a body of Christ. I came here to develop disciples and send them to the world. That's our purpose here. So the message is going to look different than preaching to the masses where we're introducing the gospel. I'm trying to develop people who will go be missionaries to the world and plant churches in the world. So that means this message is going to be a different message than speaking to the babes in Christ. Right? We're trying to feed you meat so you come up a little bit higher. And, that, and that's why your teeth have come in, because you've just quite honestly grinded them down, the gums down, where they just have to come in now, because you're trying to chew meat with your gums. And God is working on something. He's developing something. I wish that I were more like Jeremiah in the Bible. Right, here's the prophet that basically would go in. He didn't give a rip what anybody said. He just said it, and then he got beat up, put in stocks, thrown in jail. And, 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 and then after he got out of jail, he got back up, and he did it again. He didn't worry about what happened to him. He proclaimed the truth in regardless, irregardless of how people responded to the truth. Are you with me? Some of us as friends, now you're like, well, that's, I'm not a pastor. But some of us as friends need to begin to do this with our friends. Because how can you be a pastor that's prophetic if you can't even be a friend that's prophetic? Well, let me break this down for you. When a friend comes to you and you know they're being an idiot, and you just make excuses for them so that they don't get mad at you, that's your first opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Listen, if you are prophetic in your friendship, you're going to have less friends. Amen. You're like, what kind of gospel are you preaching here, man? You're trying to preach me, preach to me, I need to go lose a bunch of friends. No, I preach to you that he should be your number one friend. And if you lose friends because you made him your number one friend, your best friend... That's okay. And that's the kind of life we need to begin to live. Okay, that's good. And I just want to go ahead and apologize right here before I, I know I'm getting in the scripture. I'm getting there. I know this is the longest introduction known to man, right? But I want to go ahead and apologize for our generation and how we, we did church, right? Because we began to ask questions when I was a youth ministry and I was a youth pastor. We began to ask the teens, hey, because um, we thought we were losing them, you know. <laughs> we never found them, um, but we thought we were losing them. 
And, and so this is what the church does is it begins to try to take God's job and do God's job for him. That's why we jacked up the church. It's because then we began to build churches around what people wanted. <laughs> why? Why? You know, I mean, God didn't ask the Israelites what they wanted when they went in the desert. Right? That, that's the last thing God's going to be doing is asking your opinion. Because a lot, of, a lot of position you guys are in now is because you chose to be there. So we're going to ask your opinion because your, your decisions get you where you are. It's, we need to begin to ask his opinion and ask what he wants. But we begin to sit down and ask, hey, what would you like for, for, for youth group? And what would you like church to look like? And what, what, what would you like to see in church? What would you like? It was all about getting people there so then we could introduce them to Jesus. Phrases like this were used. If we meet people's felt needs, and I'm not against this, just, 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 just let, me finish the, let me finish where I'm going here. If we meet people's felt needs, then we'll have an opportunity to meet their spiritual need. Uh, uh, yes, yes, no, no, no yes. Uh. Our number one goal should be for people's spiritual needs to be met and then in the process of, God, of creating atmospheres for their spiritual need to be met, we'll love people. But the goal, the number one aim should be that people's spiritual lives will be transformed. That's it. That's it. It's not like baiting people in. This is not, you know, meeting people's felt needs is not some gateway drug that we get people to Jesus. And we did this in the church, and we created, we created movements that began to meet people's felt needs. And then, and then we were like, psych. It's all about Jesus. And then they left. Because, because people will leave if you ch stop, stop doing what got them there. And so church has become this endless cycle of just spitting people out. Because we're trying to draw them in. And, and, and it, God never called the church to draw. He said, if you lift me up, I'll draw. But see, we don't want to lift him up. We want to have pizza parties and events we want to have bouncy houses. We want to have LED screens and all this stuff. And I'm not against all that. Track with me. I ain't hating. But I'm saying, if you stop that, watch where the people go. And, and, I, and I want you to understand, God is calling us to something more. Now, in this particular text in John, what you have is you have a movement coming in of people proclaiming a gospel, and, they're, and, and what they're doing is they are, they are speaking to people's hearts and where they're at. The John is speaking to the church, and he's saying, be very careful about these people who will just try to gratify your flesh and give you whatever you want. And so he's speaking to them. I want you to understand this morning that what, as a believer in Christ, what God has done on the inside of you, what he has put in you, his spirit, is all that you need in this life. You don't need a house. I mean, I, how many of you know you would like a house, especially with it being 95 degrees outside? I, like, I would like a house, and particularly I would like some air conditioning, please. But you don't need it. All you need is the Holy Spirit. You, you, you don't need food on your table because he's the bread of life. You don't need water because he is the wellspring of water springing up to eternal life. He is all that you need. When you come in here, 
and you're, you're not going to like this. Some of you are like, some of you, this quarantine time was a great opportunity for you to evaluate what you really need. Now, let me, let me, let me say this. Um, some of you thought you needed your accountability group partners and your accountability group and your small groups to be able to survive, but I came here today to tell you, you didn't need them. You needed the Holy Spirit. And with him and him alone, you can make it through this life. Well, if I don't have my accountability group and I don't have my small group, then I'm not going to be able to stay on the course. See, that's the problem. See, because you put all your hope in a friend who can't even get themselves to the end of the race. You put your hope in somebody who today loves Jesus and tomorrow is flipping off their neighbor. That's good stuff. I'm preaching real good already. You put your hope in people who one day they they have all the joy in their life and the next day they're getting drunk because they can't handle the stress of their life. That's who you're putting your hope in. Those are your accountability partners. Those are the people that you say, if I'm with them, then I can endure. No, they will never help you endure to the end. It is only the Spirit. And some of us need to begin to look on the inside and begin to find our hope there. Because if we don't find our hope with what God put on the inside of us and we put all of our hope on the extraneous things of life, we will always be hopeless. You know why the church today is more hopeless it's just as hopeless as the world because you don't know what you got on the inside of you. And some of us need to begin to develop a relationship with the Spirit in our life. Right. There's a reason why people have to come on Sunday. And, and if you're not here on Sunday, to be under the worship and, and to be under the Word and to be in the community. Now, I'm not anti-communities, just so you know. I think you should still come to church. That's part of what God did. did. He wants us to assemble together. But if you assemble, but you're void of what a relationship with what's on the inside, you might as well not assemble. (laughs) Man, Sean, you should really learn how to preach where you make people want to come to church. (laughs) Now, now, listen, I would rather you not come to church and learn how to engage what he put in you than come to church and never engage it. I'd rather uninvite you to come here. If, if, If you not come in here, we'll help you seek him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So the problem is you're still seeking mommy and daddy. And you're still seeking your pastor. And you're still seeking your friend. And you're still seeking advice of men. And you're still seeking that podcast. You're still seeking that worship to get you through the week. Listen, worship will never get you through the week because the only thing that will get you through the week is what we worship, not how we worship. That's good stuff. Some of us have got to begin to understand that God did something on the inside of us that should transform our heart and lives. Honestly, honestly, this morning worship was good, wasn't it? Worship was good. It's nice to be here. We come on Sunday and we're like, move me. I want some worship that will move me. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go to church when I'm not moved. I don't know why I did it like a cow, but I think it's funny. I just want to be moved by something. I want to to be, you know. (laughs) I want the music to move me. I want the sermon to move me. I hope the spirit moves me. Honestly, honestly. When you are alone, totally alone, what does your worship look like then? Because what your worship looks like when you're totally alone lets me know what you worship. I got personal, man. 
I got personal because when I look at my life at home, I don't worship. And when I look at my life at church, I'm crazy. I, sometimes I want to run around the room in a circle and I see the difference there. And I know, I, I mean, I know what you worship. See, you worship the environment. You worship the environment we set. You worship this room. You worship the community. You worship being seen, but you don't worship him because if you worshiped him, you could be at home. You could be in the desert. You can be in hell, but you'll still worship him because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords of your life. And some of us have got to get to a place where we move beyond our vernacular being changed, beyond this outward expression looking different, and we begin to be transformed from the inside so that our outside will be transformed as well. God, help us. I hear a lot of people talking about the speakers they listen to through the week. That's great. That's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you're subscribed to that podcast. And the worship they listen to. I listen to Bethel all week long, even on my work site. That's great. That's great. I'm glad you do that. But I'll be honest, I don't hear a lot of people saying, I was alone with God this morning, and he wrecked me. It was just me and him. There wasn't no music to get me stirred up. There was, there was nothing. It was just me and the Lord. Or, or, or this, I was in his word this morning and God spoke to me. I was in tears and I can't believe I was in the presence of a living God and he was talking with me. See, I don't hear much of that. I just hear about people, how people create atmospheres where they're stirred, but they don't have real intimacy with him. See, the apostle John is saying he, he's coming against this false doctrine that's trying to stir something up, that's trying to gratify people's flesh, that's trying to get them to a place where they have intimacy with him. Listen, there's nothing wrong with public intimacy if you have a private one. There's something wrong with it if you can't do it privately, but you only seek it publicly. And, 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 and John has said there's a reckoning here that needs to happen in the church. We begin to evaluate our lives. Listen, don't sit here and make an excuse for yourself. Sit here and go, God, help me. Help me love you like this. All right, now, I finally got the scripture. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> okay, well, actually, you might be like, dear Lord, uh, I wish you would have done intro longer. Um, 1 John 3, 5 through 11 says this, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one, listen, what does that say? No one. Who abides in him keeps on sinning. Remember, I was talking about abiding last week? You're like, yeah, I'm still processing, right? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Now, he's speaking to heresiutical preaching heresiutical thoughts. He, he's preaching to, to bad teaching, and he's saying, little children, let no one deceive you. There are people who are going to preach a gospel that will deceive you and lead you away from what God wants for your life. And let me tell you, it looks subtle, and it sounds good, and, and it, and it hyper-focuses on specific attributes of God and ignores the rest of his attributes. It does not take God in its entirety, but it picks and chooses like a buffet line of what it wants of God and discards the rest. Be careful, little children, that you aren't deceived by this kind of preaching and teaching. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Now, now note, there is a, there is a righteousness. James and Paul have an argument. They're not having an argument. They're speaking of two different righteousness. Paul begins to speak of a righteousness that we can only achieve when we are standing before Jesus. 
before God. We are righteous because Jesus died and made us righteous. There is a righteousness unto God that we can never achieve with righteousness that we live out and act out in our life. No matter how righteous you act, you'll never be righteous before God unless you believe in Jesus and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness and gives you his righteousness. That's what Paul's preaching. But then James preaches a message that we should be righteous before men. This is a righteousness that is, requires Action. This is a righteousness that because of our righteousness before God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now we practice these good things before men that they may see our righteous deeds and then glorify the Lord. So you cannot just summarize all righteousness into one word and say that we have a, right, we have a righteous action that we should be living before men that requires action from our life. Action. It requires action, not to just pour out of us, but it requires, it's a choice to pick up your cross and die to your own wants and elevate him. It is a choice. How many of you know that, I know, I know that some of us here and under the grace message, and I love the grace message, but the grace message says that it will just naturally happen. You'll never even have to think about it or ever make a choice again. You just will be taken over like a little zombie or a puppet, and you'll just want brains now. You know, it's just like, I just want to be good. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a choice still. I'm going to preach it. That's why he says you have to choose each day to follow him. It's a choice. All right. Now, the more and more we seek him, the more and more we're empowered to live this kind of life. But it will always be a choice. Some of us aren't choosing to live this kind of life because we're happy being righteous before God. And what John begins to say is, you cannot be righteous before God. If that is real, if this connection is real, if Jesus has made you righteous before God, and I do not see righteousness in your life, it's a lie. You've never seen them and you've never known them. That's, that's, how many of you that, that concerns you? Just a little bit. Okay. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, listen, listen. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, well, they're of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in them. And where his seed is, they cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. But this... This, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Everybody take a breath. <sighs> My word, John, chill out. Don't you know you're the disciple that Jesus loved? Why so much hate, brother? Why so much hate? Because love will say what needs to be said, contrary to our culture today. Part of what love is, is saying no. When you need to say no, it's saying that's not good when it's not good. It's stop making, it's it, it stop. We are so in, we are, we are crying so much for inclusivity that we are even including our sin and saying God should love our sin, but God does not love your sin and will never love your sin. And he died to kill your sin. That's why I hate unconditional love. I hate that. He has an unfailing love because no matter how much sin you have in your life, which he does not love. Yes, he loves you, even when you have some, but he does not love love, does love sin. So it can't be unconditional because there's one condition. I hate sin. I don't love it. 
That's what, that's what motivated him to come to the cross. He has an unfailing, by the way, unconditional love's not even in the Bible. That's, you need, okay? That's a made up thing so that we can embrace everybody and all their beliefs. That's why many people will go to hell that should not go to hell because we made the way broad when it's actually narrow. Okay. I got to oof. Ooh, that's, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> By this, we're, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Listen, practices righteousness, not gets it by osmosis, is not of God, nor is he the one who does not love his brother. Now, let me, let me give you some history. The Apostle John wrote this epistle to a group of churches in Asia Minor under his teaching. A major schism was underway with many of its members leaving to come under the teaching of secessionist opponents. John is writing to encourage and strengthen and exhort those who are left in the fellowship of apostolic foundation. And he is compelling the church, you must continue in apostolic doctrine. Do not be led astray by every other wind of doctrine. I know it looks good. Thank you for staying apart and staying up under the apostolic doctrine. But be careful. And he's exhorting them and encouraging. Listen, there was this belief in this day that John is speaking about that's being taught. Was that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Now listen to me, I'm going somewhere with this. You really need to pipe in here. They were teaching, this bad doctrine was that Jesus did not come in the flesh. They taught docetic Gnosticism, which denied the true humanity of Jesus Christ. That he was only divine, but he was not human. This is much of what is taught today in different churches. They don't say it specifically, but they introduced this gospel that, listen, that he wasn't fully, he looked human, but he really wasn't human. He was only divine. Now, some of you are asking, well, Sean, why is that relevant for me today? Why does that even matter? They, they only accepted his deity. It only appeared or seemed that he had a body like ours. Why is this important? Because if Jesus was only divine, then he could not live in human flesh and live like he did. So then what that does is it puts dispensation for us who are in human flesh, who then have received his spirit, that we can only be changed and transformed in the divine sense, in the spiritual sense, but not in the carnal sense. Are you with me? Everybody, if you need me to repeat that and break that down for you differently, raise your hand because I want to make sure no one leaves without understanding that. Raise your hand. Okay, good. Okay, here's what we're going to do. They said that he was only divine, that he was only, he only operated and did miracles, and he only lived without sin, and he only did that because he was spiritual, but he was not carnal. If he was carnal, their, their gospel said, he would not be able to, to, to submit his carnal life, his flesh life, to the spiritual and let the spiritual rule as Lord. They preach that gospel. What is, how does that impact us? Because if we are carnal, and we are flesh. We are not only spiritual, but we are carnal. And we, do, we trust in Jesus. They are preaching a gospel that once you receive his spirit, it is only your spirit that is saved. But it is not the rest of you that is saved. 
Now, we know that our thinking and our life and our body is saved day by day, but it is being saved. It is right now and is being saved more and more every day. So we believe and preach a gospel that what happened in the spiritual will affect your body. What they were actually teaching is that, that no matter what you do, you can be righteous spiritual, but you'll never be able to be righteous before men because your body will always jack up the spiritual. They would actually teach this, that the spiritual wasn't power enough to bring your body into submission. And this is a lie straight from the pits of hell. And John is speaking against it and he's saying, your life can look different. And as a matter of fact, if you know him and seen him and been filled with his spirit, your life will be transformed. And if it's not transformed, you are a son of the devil, even though you're proclaiming to be a son of God. Ah, oh, that's tough, man. How many of you, how many, you, everybody okay? Okay, all right. That's tough. John is speaking against this and saying, saying, he can transform your physical life. Now, let me give some encouraging thing. I know we have testimonies in here of people that, that, were, that were sons of the devil that came to know Jesus and their life was radically transformed. How many of you know there's testimonies like that in the house? So we need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate that. We need to be thankful for that. Listen, there's a reason why Jesus looked at people, he would heal them, and then he would tell them, go and sin no more. God will never give a command that he, he will not then empower you to live up to. Because that would be sadistic. So even when Jesus walked, he is preaching that a righteousness unto men is attainable, now go do it. He's calling us to a better life where we long to not practice habitual sins over and over again. Come on now, come on now. Do you know that in the church, it has now gone over 50% of the men and women inside the church actively every day are looking at pornography? That's practicing sin. You're like, why'd you have to get personal and start calling out sins? I'm just telling you right now, this is pervasive in our society, right? You, you need to understand something. What he's saying is, are you a son of the devil or are you a son of God? Because if you're a son of God, you're not going to continue habitually practicing these sins over and over again. I didn't say it. John did. I don't, he's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> he says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Well, Sean, Sean, that, that, it must not mean what it says. It must not mean that. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he the one who does not love his brother. So some of you are asking this question. So, Sean, okay, Sean, I know how you do, Sean. Like, I know how you do. You're, you're tricky. You try to make us be at all in despair, and you come around, and you give us the glory of God. And, and what are you doing? So, Sean, what are you really trying to say here? Are you saying that if I'm practi practicing sin, practicing sin, like we're going to sin, but are, am I practicing the same sin over and over? Am I practicing this sin and have a hatred towards my brother that I'm a child of the devil? Of course not. Of course I'm not saying that. The Bible is. <laughs> I 
And the reality is you and I have to decide what we're going to do with it. And many of you here today, let's just speak candidly. Many of you here today will walk out of this church and you will find a message that contradicts this because you won't be able to sleep with yourself at night hearing this word. That's on you. That's not on me. And if you look hard enough, you can, you can make any scripture apply in a way that you would like it to apply. But the scripture is not a buffet. It's served up. And I want you to understand, he's saying exactly what he means to say. He's saying it, exactly what he means to say. He says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor known him. Now, now I want to I stay here and throw this caveat on there. It is not my desire as a pastor, because I grew up in a church that every night I would go to bed thinking I was going to hell the next day. That is not my desire as a pastor. I told last week that we have eternal security in Christ. For those who abide can know they are always saved, will always be saved, that he puts his spirit in us, that we are sealed up to the day of atonement, and no one can take us from his hand. That is for those who are true believers. But there are as a false believer and a false follower, and we need to begin to preach this gospel because we have created masses and masses of people who proclaim to be believers who are not believers because their life hasn't been transformed. They preach a gospel that grace has the power to save you, but it does not have the power to transform your fleshly life. And a grace that can save you but not transform you is not grace at all. It is a lie straight from the pits of hell. That's good. That's good. No one will clap, but that's good. That's good stuff right there. He says, no one who abides in me keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. And then he says this, little children, let no one deceive you. That, that's what you need to take home today as you walk out and try to process this word, right? Let no one deceive you. Some of you are thinking, but wait, that is not what I've been told. This, is not, this doesn't jive with what I feel like I've learned about my Christian walk. And he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he as he is righteous. Wait, 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 Sean. I was taught that if I pray this prayer, and I was taught that if I was baptized, listen, all of those external things can happen, but if something doesn't happen internally, it doesn't matter what you manifest on the outside. There is something that has to happen on the inside of you. 1 John 3, 16 through 17 says, By this we know love. Track with me. What do we know? Love. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. By this he knows love that you lay your life down for him. And we ought to lay down our life, our need. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He's saying this, if you have the world's goods and you see someone in need and you close your heart, how could God's love abide in you? Because if God's love abides in you, it moves you into action. 
You're like, oh, no, no, so I don't agree. I don't agree because I'm saved spiritually. It just, it just is, it's been 20 years and it's never really impacted my life. I, I have his love in me, but I don't love my neighbor. And I've been living like that for 20 years. And, and, and let me tell you, I'm saved in the spirit. Yeah, you're a lot like the false teachers that he talks about in John. You believe that you're only saved spiritually, but you're not saved in the flesh. That you're only righteous spiritually, but you're not transformed in your day-to-day life. And he's saying, you don't really have his love in you because if you truly had his love in you, that love doesn't just change your heart. It changes your life and the way you walk. He's saying if you have the world's good and you ignore your neighbor, there's no love abiding in you. Something is supposed to happen that makes these things come into the natural. Nobody should have to beg you to give to the poor. It should happen naturally because of what you have in you. Listen, I don't have to be begged to get rid of my sin. I don't want it. It's disgusting. When I fail in these things, when I slip up, when I turn to anger, when I turn to these things, when I turn to vice, when I turn to those things, it is not okay. I hate it. I despise it. I abhor it. It is not welcome in this temple. I don't want it. If you find yourself more in love with sin than you are with God, there's a problem. You might be a son of the devil. I don't have to be begged to get rid of my money. It was not mine in the first place. Matter of fact, he doesn't just own 10%. He owns it all. I don't have to be begged to run into the presence of God. Every chance I get, I run into the presence of God. When I feel like all hell's breaking loose, like I did Wednesday night, and I'm at home, and I'm about to go to a small group, and dear God, I'm the pastor, and I feel heavy-hearted and weighed down, and I feel, I feel stressed about the message I'm about to preach to you, which I'm doing right now, dear God, help me. And I feel overwhelmed by that. Where do I run? I run out of the house. I don't run to worship. I love worship. I don't run to a sermon. I don't run to that. I run out of the house and by myself and into the presence of God till it may, till, because I gotta get near Him. I gotta hear what He has to say when I feel heavy. I gotta go be lifted. I want Him to pick up the yoke with me and begin to carry it with me. When's the last time you ran to God? And not to stuff. It was amazing Wednesday to be able to sit there. It took an hour because I'm stubborn. Took an hour. Took an hour of being in his presence. It took an hour. Took an hour of staying silent. Took an hour. Took an hour of me shutting my mouth and not asking and requesting and begging like a beggar on the side of the street. It took an hour of just sitting there to where my ears could open up enough where I could hear what he had to say. And I heard these words, I love you. And that's all it took. That's all it took. It didn't, not some epiphany, not some great revelation, not some thing that needed to do, not some, not some, he didn't even talk about my sermon. He just said, I love you. I sat there and went, I'm good. I packed up my stuff. I went inside and I was ready for the small group. Some of us have got to begin to realize who to turn to and who to, who to run to. And we shouldn't have to be coaxed and trained and taught classes on who to seek. We need to seek Him above all things. And when we seek Him above all things, He adds all things to us. Here's my concern. We're coming into lake season. We'll go out to the lake. On July 4th, we'll go out to the lake we do our family camp, 
You're going to see people out there on boats floating around with life jackets on. And those life jackets, when I look out there and I see people in life jackets, I see people uh, propped up by a flotation device. I can't tell who can really swim and who really can't swim because they're propped up by something. That if you swim or you can't swim, it don't matter. It puts everybody in the same playing field. I'm afraid the church has become a flotation device for many people who cannot swim on their own. And it is time that we begin to preach prophetic messages that take the things that have propped us up off our lives. Then we can see, and listen, it is time for us to, for some people to have that thing that's propped them up, ripped off them with the word of God so that as they sink, they can begin to cry out to Jesus because many of us will never cry until we sink into the depths. My mission in life is to preach a gospel, not my gospel, not in frustration, not in lack, but to preach a gospel that strips flotation device off people that they will actually be like Peter and cry out, Lord, Lord, I'm sinking. That's what this message is for. That's what it's here for. It's to strip off. Listen, you can no longer be propped up by your parents' belief. You can no longer be propped up by your pastor's belief. You can no longer be propped up by the community of believers. He's stripping it off with the hard word. He's saying, swim, child, swim. And if you can't swim, cry out to me. Cry out from the depths of your heart. Not some prayer you prayed, but from a, from a desperation that needs me. Be like Jacob where you wrestle to get yours, but you go from wrestling to clinging, and it is in this transition that I can actually redeem you and change your name and re- restore your station in what I originally intended it to be in the first place. That's good stuff. First Corinthians. Listen, (laughs) this church is, is done. It's done. We, we, we've done the whole, hey, we have needs in children's department. Hey, we have needs in serving. Hey, we have needs here. Hey, we, have need, we need people to serve. Listen, we're done begging. We're not going to put requests out on Facebook anymore. We're done. We had a meeting this week. We're done. We're not going to ask you anymore because you know what? We have been begging people to do what they should do all along. I'm not going to be a beggar anymore. I'm going to trust God. And we will have a church based on the people we have that are sold out for it. That's it. That's it. And there are people, listen, I shouldn't have to beg you to serve the church. I shouldn't have to beg you to be a greeter. I shouldn't have to beg you to get in a small group. I shouldn't have to beg you to serve the little ones. No. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the whole. We should just... Want to do it. Do you believe? Do you believe that God wants to use you on that level? Do you believe? Do you believe that I'm here with you this morning? Do you believe? It's got to be, you've got to be transformed from the inside. I'm done. I'm done. Listen, I I know how to preach a message that inspires and encourages and gets people to rise up into action. But what does that mean if it doesn't come from a true place in someone's heart. We have them sprint for a season, but burn out on the second lap. 
I've done it time and time again. I've inspired people into something that they didn't believe. I've found that if it is not a burning passion that is rising up from the inside, but rather it is a stimulation from the inspirational words on the outside, it will never last. It's got to come from the inside. The Holy Spirit is speaking to the house this morning and saying, I want to be one with you. Just as the Father and the Son are one, He wants us to be in perfect oneness with Him. Is that even possible? It has to be. And I'm chasing after it with my whole heart. I grew up in a generation where we were told, bring a friend. We're having a famous athlete come and speak. Bring a friend. We're having pizza. Bring a friend. I'm burying myself alive. It's going to be awesome. Bring a friend. And pretty soon all we did was take people to events and have fun. And we didn't tell people. We didn't tell people that we were inviting to the events. We didn't tell people that we were luring in. We didn't tell our church who were inviting their friends. We didn't tell them that they themselves have the power to be witnesses to the utter ends of the earth. We thought it could only be done in a pizza party. And we failed to empower our people to go out and win the nation and their neighborhoods. Listen, when someone comes to church, they should not have to come to church to get saved. When they come to church, they should already be saved because you've done the work and you've been the witness and you live righteously in your neighborhood so lives are transformed. You're like, hey, come join the community with me. You're one of us now. But the problem is we've stripped the house of power and said that people can only be saved in the house. But we forgot that this is not the house you are. Oh my goodness. Because there's something in you. Just listen, I know I'm over my time. There's something in you. Wherever you go, you don't need this church building to save someone. Be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the age and the earth. You are the witnesses. But you can only be a witness if you're a son of God and not a son of the devil.